0: Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message, or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. We're finishing our last message on engagement, and so I think I, think I told the first service I was going to throw a little bit of Christmas into the sermon. I think I tried to, but I think I forgot in the first service, so we'll see if it happens again. <laughs> Uh, But we're uh, finishing up our series on engagement and engagement is super important to us. We believe that we as a church, as people together, we should be surrendering to God, surrendered to God, following God, passionately, wholeheartedly, seeking to know Him and know His will for our lives. And then we're supposed to be connected with one another. God put us into a community of believers. He values uh, this interaction and growth and relationship together. He wants us to be the people of God together. And we actually learn from one another what we need to learn about ourselves and about how we serve and how we live. And then we believe that we're to be a proclaiming community. And proclaiming means that we live out the gospel of Jesus. We love people as Jesus loved people. We point people to Jesus because Jesus came into the world to be the one and only Savior of the world. And if we trust in him, we will find life, which we will find nowhere else. And that is so important, so much a part of who we are that our work, our job, our mission is to be about proclaiming. And over the last several, uh, a couple of months we've been looking at this topic of engaged. How do we engage? What does engagement look like? And we've looked at situations of Jesus in his ministry as he's been in the world where he engaged with people. And Because He is our Savior, because He is our Lord, He is the one that is bringing salvation into the world. We want to emulate Him. We want to follow Him. We want to live our lives like He lived His life. We want to carry forth His plans, His objectives, His will for us. And so looking at how He interacted with the world instructs us on how we are to interact with the world. We've seen Jesus when He met the demon-possessed man in Mark chapter 5. We've seen Jesus meet the paralytic at the pool in Siloam In, in John chapter 5. We've seen Jesus when he encountered the paralyzed man let down through the roof and the four friends brought that man to Jesus and how important that was. We've seen Jesus interact with the rich young ruler when he had confusing ideas about religion and getting to the heart of the issue. We've seen Jesus in a discussion with Nicodemus. All of these situations we've looked at. We looked at Jesus interacting with the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, which was loving people in unexpected places and in unexpected ways. All of these are important to us so that we learn how we are to bring the message of Jesus and the life of Jesus into our world. And the thing that stands out is that Jesus was a friend of sinner's. He didn't court himself off like the religious organizations and people of his day. He didn't say, don't touch the unclean thing because that'll make me unclean. Jesus went into the broken lives and the broken people all around him. And he loved them in that situation, in that context. And that's the model for us. We are to be a friend of sinners. We're not to separate ourselves from sinners. We're sinners. We are saved sinners, we are changed, but we're not made perfect. And we still depend on our Savior for grace every day. And we want people who don't know Jesus to depend on Jesus for grace and salvation. And Jesus shows us the way to do that is by engaging with people, loving people, and communicating with people in New York City there is this Christian group that puts on an event called Socrates in the City they do it about four times a year it's designed to bring speakers of technical skill to an event that tackles some of the big questions of life Um, they've had uh, scientists come, like Dr. Polkinghorn from Cambridge, who Ravi Zacharias studied under. They've, in philosophy, they had Dr. Peter Kreft from Boston College in genetics. They've had Dr. Collins, uh, uh Francis Collins, and in theology, they had Dr. N.T. Wright. These are all very nice events. They're, they're pretty, highfalutin, uh, they're tackling some of the tough issues of life. But I really like uh, you can get uh, one of the books in the library where they just kind of let you listen to the whole events. But I really like their their byline. Their byline which really kind of captures what they're about is that this Socrates in the City is about congr- conversations about life god and other small topics uh, so some of the events you know are, are pretty uh, engaging but I, I i i like the the reason behind it and uh, the reason behind it is because they're in the city of new york The city of New York is a hustling and bustling place. There's tons of people. There's, you know, there's challenges even just moving around, getting to your place of employment and back, the shops, the people, the events, the entertainments. And what they said was that New Yorkers are so busy and so captivated by daily life and the stresses and the challenges of the daily life that they never think about life. The dictum that is the core of Socrates in the city is an unexamined life is not worth living. And as I think about that, and I think about our study of of, uh, engagement, looking at the life of Jesus, and I think about what we do every week here when we come together. Uh, I don't know about New Yorkers, but I know about us. We have the same temptations, the same kind of problems. Stresses enter into our life. We're busy about our jobs. We're busy about raising our kids. We're busy about all the opportunities that we want to avail ourselves of. We're busy and we're not stopping and we're not thinking about life very much. And so... What is true for the New Yorkers, I think, is true for us Missourians. And I actually was thinking that one of the blessings of gathering together to worship on a Sunday every week, its is probably the genius that, that God had given to us, is that it's an opportunity for us to stop, to rest, to do something different, to settle back, and to look into God's Word to, again, think about what's important, what's meaningful, what's valuable, what should I be dedicating my heart and soul and energy to. And if we just live in the world, we can get captivated by all the things. But when we come to worship, we come to see God on His throne. We come to see that his his plans, his design, his overall end of history and creation is what really matters. And that what's important for you and me is that we get in line with what he's doing and what he's accomplishing. And week after week, this reminds us of what is true and what is valuable. what What we must be doing. So this morning... Uh, 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 uh. And so I did say I was going to bring Christmas in a little bit, so uh, you know, at Christmas time, we think of the same thing. So so many times you hear, "Well, don't get so bogged down, don't so get so captivated by parties and, and, and events and figuring out the presents and being stressed out about that, that you miss stopping and thinking about what Christmas is all about, what's the real meaning of Christmas, the wonder that God came into our world. We all need this stop and think. The unexamined life is not worth living. We need to be thinking about who we are, what we're about, and where we're going. And every week, we get to think about that again and ask the Lord, open my eyes, Lord, open my heart to where you want me to go, where you want me to live, what's most important so that my life counts in in your accounting system, what you value and what brings glory to you. And so as we end this Engage series with this sermon. I don't want it to be the end. Because we don't do these things. We don't look at the life of Jesus. And look about how he interacts with people outside of the church. How, how he interacts with people who don't know him. He loves them, cares for them, brings the truth. He does, we don't look at the, his life, his example, just for a good lesson. We look at his life so that we would be changed, so that we would take those things that he's taught us and showed us by his life and put it into our life. We have to examine ourselves and say, am I living as Jesus would want me to live? And it's super important. And so I'm closing this thing, not really closing, I'm hoping it's the beginning of something new in each of our lives. And we can make this Christmas season be that something new as we love and reach out to people with the truth of Christmas. But as we look at a passage that I think is super challenging and can be difficult. Some people don't like this passage very much. Sometimes evangelicals skip over it. Um, It's a challenging passage, but it also reminds us something very important. So Turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter twenty-five, we're going to be looking at verse fourteen through thirty. Now, this is a series. This is in the midst of a series of parables, stories that Jesus is telling. It's following Matthew twenty-four. You should be, could be, might be familiar with Matthew twenty-four. Matthew 24 is called Jesus's teaching on the mount on the Mount of Olives and In this teaching, the disciples wanted to know, when is the end of time coming? When is your kingdom going to come to the earth and be firmly established for all to see? And Jesus begins to give some indications, some explanations. He makes some hints at the fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, which is a precursor, a picture of what will happen. And then he goes on to explain and describe something that's even more in the future. And technically that second phase is in in the future for us. And so we're like the disciples sitting around wanting to hear what Jesus is saying about when will his kingdom come. And then as he ends that chapter 24 the end of 24 and into 25 he gives several snapshots, several pictures of parables or stories or reminders that Teach us something about looking towards the end. And some of those are like at the end of 24 when he says, the the end will come in a day like the day of Noah when the people were running around going after what they longed for, what they thought would fulfill their lives, and they weren't caring about God, and they weren't doing uh, His will, and they were ignoring Him. They were doing their own thing, and then suddenly the flood came. They weren't anticipating it. It surprised them. Jesus says the day of the Lord will come with that kind of surprise. And he said there will be some that are like homeowners who will be preparing their house because there might be a thief who will come one time, surprisingly, and they will be ready for that thief and they won't lose anything because the thief comes. But others who will not know when the thief is coming and they will be kind of uh, unaware and that thief will come in and plunder them in the same way the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the same day the same way it'll come with a surprise and Jesus is saying to his disciples when you think about that end day remember that it is coming but it's not now and it might take longer than you think but don't get lazy don't be forgetful always keep your eye ready for when he comes we see this in uh, when jesus is talking about a good master and a bad master a wicked master he said a good master will always do his work anticipating the oversight of his master and therefore, he will honor the slaves and manage the house well. But a bad master, a wicked master, will think, oh, the boss is away. And the mice will play. You know, yeah, I can do all this stuff. i can beat up on them, the, the other servants. And I can kind of make things beneficial for myself. And then that master comes. And it'll be a surprise. But what's interesting about these, and of course, chapter 25, he also tacks on the story of the ten virgins. The ten virgins with oil, and they're waiting for the bridegroom to come. Five of the virgins, the oil runs up, and they go to get more, and the bridegroom comes, and they miss out on the wedding and the banquet. In all of those, there is a sense in which Jesus is telling his disciples, telling you and me, that his coming is going to be delayed. It's not going to be immediate. It's not coming right now. And that's an important lesson for them. Continue to be vigilant. Be on your guard. Be looking and live your life in, in reflection or in connection with the, the reality that Jesus is coming. But the passage we're looking at today is not so much on the waiting and expecting, but it is the use what you have while you're waiting. This is living with the riches of the kingdom, I've called it. And that is, while we're waiting for the second coming of Jesus, we are charged with using and living with the riches of Christ's grace and his love and his mercy in a way that is preparing for when he comes, in a way that is expanding his mission and his ministry and his kingdom while we're waiting. And that flows right into our topic of engagement. So let's kind of take a quick look at this passage. Chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. A pretty impressive story Jesus tells. I'll read the passage. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five bags of gold brought the other five, uh, uh, brought the other five. Master... I must have after, start nineteen again, sorry. After a long time the master of the servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, You entrusted me with five bags of gold, see I have gained five more. things come and share in your master's happiness then the man who had received one bag of gold came master he said I knew that you are a hard man harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed so I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground so here is what belongs to you the master replied you wicked lazy servant So you knew that the harvest, uh, that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed, well then, you should have put my money uh, on deposit with the banker so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So you kind of see that it's a, it's a challenging little parable and there are three scenes. Scene number one is the time period and character of the work is established. When is this work, this time period, And what kind of work is to be done? When is that to happen? And what we see here is in verse 14. Again, it will be like a man on a journey. We have to look at it will be like. This really refers back to chapter, uh, verse 1 of chapter 25. Notice in verse 1. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. So this passage, this parable, is clearly tied to the, the virgin parable. And what he's doing, he's trying to tell us something about the future and about these kingdoms. So it, and again, in verse 14, again, it will be like, is this kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey. Now what is this man going on a journey? This man has servants. This man has great wealth and prosperity this man goes away for a long time and when he returns he calls all the servants to account and as we get to the end of the passage we notice something more about this man that the significance the consequences of this calling to account have eternal weight so Jesus certainly I think in using this parable is pointing to himself and he's pointing to himself and teaching us with an analogy from the day of a master and servants and they're taking and using his wealth. He's pointing to some spiritual truths about our present context where we live right now. As we look at the talents It's important to know that maybe uh, in the NIV, I think it does help us communicate or understand something because in verse 15, to one he gave five bags of gold and to another two bags and to another one bag. Bags of gold are pretty, you know, that's kind of, you know, a little pouch, but uh, actually a talent, which is the word underneath there, is a weight. It's a measure of weight and that they measured Uh, Denaries in this measure of weight and there's quite a bit of debate but roughly one talent is $300,000 so if you have five talents you have quite a bit of money if it's two talents you have quite a bit of money if you have one talent it's quite a bit of money I think that this was kind of surprising to them because Jesus is telling a story of kind of tremendous wealth. And as we think about the story, we we can't help but think, why would he talk about tremendous wealth? Is it really physical money he's talking about? I think we have to say it's physical money because look at the end of verse 14, he entrusted his wealth to them. But that that denomination, that size, that abundance communicates to us something even greater than just pure money. Jesus is saying the riches of the kingdom are given to you. I am the one who will come back. I'm the master of the house. I will come and make an accounting. And you will give an account to me. And that accounting will have eternal ramifications. Because notice the commendation to those who did well. They enter into the joy of the master. And it's in the context of Jesus talking about when his kingdom will come. And it will be established forever. You can't get away from this picture of Jesus, the one giving us great wealth and our need to respond and to live and to see that wealth expand and grow because it is so abundant in what He has given to us. One of the things that makes people uncomfortable is that it sounds like you could say if you respond well, if you obey, then you get the blessing. If you don't, if you're lazy, then you get the punishment. But I think there is grace in this story. There is grace in this story because it says in verse 15 that the master gave bags of gold to each one according to his ability. And as we think about God's grace and His gifts, even from Romans chapter 12 verse 3, you will see that there Paul in describing how God gifts the church and blesses people in the church, He gives them their blessings, their gifts according to their faith, their gift of faith. So we look at this and we have to realize that even though there is talk about our responsibility and, and that some could falter in that responsibility by not using the gifts that God gives them for the kingdom, there is also this abundant blessing towards those who use the blessings that God gave, him, gave them and that this shows God's abundant goodness to us. We should never read this as if I that we will enter into the 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 joy of our master if we're good and we do what's right. It is more that God has given us talents. And these are not small talents. These are bags of gold. And I think you can strongly make the case as we look at this that sometimes that bags of gold is. Skills and money and gifts and giving and uses of all those things. But I think that if we start looking in the Scriptures, we have to see that Jesus isn't returning and calling us to account about just our use of money. He is returning and calling us to account about the use of our lives as His people. And that includes all of the gifts, all the blessings that He has poured out on us because He has been at work in us. It's a gracious picture. And I think of it as the challenge for you and I in this day to live out, to overflow, to express through our lives the grace of God in our lives. Second, as we think about this, we must know that the promise of commendation towards the faithful comes because we're standing in the grace of God. The promise of commendation from faithful work is done in grace. As I was just making the point, that none of us will stand with God's favor and God's commendation and God's blessing on us by our work alone. We will stand, and God is planned to include us in commendation, in celebration, in an eternal kingdom as a co-heir, a joint heir with His Son. Not because we're good, but because God has done something good for us. And in our receiving His grace, it should change our lives. It should make us His people. And we should therefore reflect His glory and His mercy and His grace and His truth in all that we do. And that's what's being showed here. And we also, when it comes to commendation, we have to notice how there is a mirroring of the description. Between the man who has five talents and now has made ten, the master says, uh, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come, share your master's happiness. The man with two bags receives the same commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. What do we hear here? God's not coming to judge the amount of your performance he knows the different gifts that he has given he knows how he has made you how he has made me and what we can offer in the life of salvation and grace that he's bestowed on each one and he wants to see you flourish the way he's made you to be there's not some hierarchy of the pastor and then the, then the elders and then the, you know and then the sunday school teachers no we all are a part of God's family. We've been made a part of the riches of His grace. And it has been given by Him to each and every one. Some five, some two, some one. But if we will respond to the grace that He is abundantly given, the commendation will come. And He's not even concerned about who has five and who has two and who has one. Because we're called to respond to the grace that we have received. Lastly, though, we see scene three. The warning of neglecting the work of the kingdom. And here, I wish I could end in the previous point. For some of you, like me, all I really need to do is hear that encouragement. That the work is to be going on right now. And that I've been abundantly blessed with the riches of God's grace. And oh that I might be faithful in letting it spill over. and Touch people's lives around me. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He gives a warning. Because it's a true warning. It's a real warning. It's a warning that's found in verse 24 and 25. The man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man harvesting what you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. God never gives us grace to hang on to. God gives us grace to change us, to see it spread. And if we think that the gospel is about what I am and what I experience and what I want and that's it, we're in grave danger. Because the gospel is the gospel of life. It is a life that needs to be spread throughout the world to a lost and dying world. And that life is to be spread through His people and part of God's abundance. Abundant gifts to us is so that we might be a light to the glorious grace of Jesus. And that the world around us would long to see it. The question for us is are we using the grace that he's given us? We buried it in the ground. Burying it in the ground was, in the first century, a way of protecting us a precious commodity or a large sum of money. but The Master, the Lord Jesus, never gave you grace to keep it to yourself. And there are many opportunities for us to share that grace. Jesus expects us to give that grace when we are in a a relationship that's broken down and there is offense and there is hurt and there is anger. We're to be a gracious person, forgiving. And Jesus would go so far as to say, if you do not forgive, your Heavenly Father will not forgive you. Why? Because God gave us grace to spread it around. He gave us grace, talents, riches, bags of gold so that we would share. Because that's at the heart of who God is. So as we think about this parable, I think of the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. Because he talks about how it's important that we display the grace of God to the people around us. So living with the riches of the kingdom is devoting yourself in the here and now to use the gifts that the Lord has given you for His glory, for His kingdom, for the salvation of those around us. That's our privilege. That's our joy. No matter where that applies in our lives, if it's being a doctor, it's being a lawyer, it's being at the university, if it's being in the home, caring for your kids. That blessing, that riches of God's grace should be spilling over. Listen to St. Uh, Francis of Assisi's prayer as we close. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me so love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand and to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the privilege, the riches of your kingdom your grace and your mercy and your life that you poured into us you've brought us into union with christ where there is life beyond our best imaginations and lord we also know that you didn't do that for us to sit still lord that you called us into your service you've called us into being dispensers of your grace, reflections of your love, hands and feet of your service and your compassion in the world. Lord, you called us to be the mouths of the truth that Jesus is the Savior. So Lord, I pray that you would make that our heart as your people in this church and all the churches that Your name would be magnified. In Jesus' name, Amen.